This is I Am Robert A. Brown Ministries. The following is a recent Sunday morning message given by Pastor Robert Brown. Glory to God. And we're going to start with our first slide. We're coming out of Psalm 122 and 6. Psalm 122 and 6. This is a Psalm of David. Hallelujah. We've heard this scripture before. We're going to delve into it today. Psalm 122 and 6. I am reading from the King James Version of the Bible. Psalm 122 and 6 reads, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. So here David is encouraging the readers to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then he goes on to say, They that pray for the Jerusalem shall prosper those that love thee. Hallelujah. Saints, Jerusalem has been the centerpiece of biblical and historical events for thousands of years. This important city, the city that's mentioned so many times in the Bible, hallelujah, has an impact on you and me. Place we've never, or at least that I know of, that we've never visited before. Place thousands of miles from here. A place that's said to be at the center of the earth. We're going to focus on today. As our message is, next slide please. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Well, brother pastor, what does this have to do with the church? What does this have to do with anything? I'm just worried about paying my bills. I'm paid about going to work. I'm, I'm concerned about going to work tomorrow. What is this little obscure scripture about praying for the peace of Israel had to do with me and mine? We're going to deal with it today. Amen. Hallelujah. So please join me as I pray over the word today. Hallelujah. Father God, we come before you in the matchless name of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to be used again, Lord God. But once again, you've given me a task that's far, far too great for me, Lord God. That's too heavy for me to lift and too difficult for me to execute. You are the preacher. You are the teacher. Preach today. Teach today. Use me as you will today for your glory, for your praise, that your people might be filled to overflowing with your spiritual nourishment today. We thank you today. We press you. We pray for all those that have joined us online, Lord God. Bless them, especially, Lord God. Hallelujah for the efforts in joining us in the name of Jesus. And of course, bless those of us that are here in person, Lord God. Hallelujah. Let us all feel your anointing through your word today and be filled to overflowing. We thank you and praise you and bless you in Jesus' name. Let somebody say amen. amen. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I kept hearing this all week. Once again, I was like, God, you keep giving me these tough topics. Oh, my God. Much research, much reading. Hallelujah. But here we go. Hallelujah. With God's word. Next slide, please. 
Let's start by looking at some definitions as I am to do. Hallelujah. And have been led to do. Amen. Let's look at the various words in this scripture. Amen. Of importance. Let's start with the word pray. Amen. It is a Hebrew word because we're in the new portion. New Testament. New. We're in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. Hallelujah. So this word pray is a Hebrew word and it's pronounced shawl and it means to ask, inquire, pray for or desire. So we have to pray for or to inquire of the Lord about Jerusalem. Peace. This peace is a word we've heard often. It's called shalom. We know shalom is uh, more than the absence of conflict, but it is completeness. It is soundness. It is welfare. It is health, it is prosperity, it is favor, it's wholeness. So when you say shalom to someone, it's not just peace, but it's, I just, it, it, you're wishing uh, a soundness, a wholeness, a, uh, a healthy uh, uh, experience for that person that you speak shalom to. Jerusalem, in the Hebrew it's Yerushalayim. And, it's, and it means the foundation of peace. It is the capital city of Israel. It's a, it also means possession of peace or a foundation of peace or founded peaceful. So Jerusalem is, according at least to this definition, all about peace. And David talked about prospering when you pray for Jerusalem. And that's a Hebrew word, shalah. And it means to be quiet or at ease or to be happy or prosper. He's saying when you pray for Jerusalem, you in turn garner a blessing of quietness, of ease, of being happy, of prospering. To be in safety, to be tranquil or secure or successful. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So when we pray for Jerusalem, amen, a blessing comes upon us as those that are praying. And lastly, this love is the ahab. In the Hebrew, it means to love or love to God or of love to Jerusalem. You know, as Christians, when we pray for Jerusalem, we're showing a love to the people of Jerusalem, but we're also showing a love to God because these are God's original people through Abraham. We pray for Jerusalem. We're praying for the Jewish people, our brothers and sisters through Abraham. Amen. Most of which have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. but We, we want to pray for them that they would before the tribulation. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Next slide, please. But it brings the question, because there's a, a, a lot of controversy among Christian teachers and scholars. Some believe the church and Israel are the same thing. And from my scriptural studies, I don't, I don't see that. See, the church... See, Israel, even Paul talked about in Romans how one day all of Israel would be saved. Why would he say that if he was talking to a church of believers at Rome? They're already saved. How, how is all Israel going to be saved if Israel's the church and the church is Israel, but there's a big, popula big population of Jews that are not saved? 
how it just doesn't make sense. All right. But there is a anger. And, you know, we should not feel jealous of 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 the Jews. Yes, they are God's people through Abraham. But God's not a respective person. Yet they have a particular relationship with him. But we also have a relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. But why then is Jerusalem so important to God? Let's take a look at it. All right, next slide, please. Here we have a map of the country of Israel, and the city of Jerusalem is depicted here by a star. So it's in the southern portion of, of Israel. You know, Israel is made up of some uh, eight and a half, nine million people. It, Israel is about the size of New Jersey. Okay, so this little place on the map with the city in it. Why is the city of Jerusalem so important? Next slide, please. I'm going to read this to you from uh, Israel Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And it reads, Israel stands at the crossroads of Europe, Asia, and Africa. So it's at the crossroads of three continents. Those of you in school know that there are seven continents. All right, I'm not going to test you now and say, what's the other four? We'll leave that alone for right now. Just to show off a little bit, it's North America, South America, Antarctica, and Australia. Mm. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. But geographically, it belongs to the Asian continent. So it actually belongs to Asia, though. And it's part of the Middle East region. In the West, Israel is bound by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, the Bible often refers to it as the Great Sea. Lebanon and Syria border to the north and Jordan to the east, Egypt to the southwest and the Red Sea to the south. That is Israel. Next slide, please. Let's focus on Jerusalem now from uh, hallelujah, uh, a Wikipedia article. It says Jerusalem is a city in Western Asia on a plateau in the Judea mountains between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. It is one of the oldest cities in the world and is considered holy to three major Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. It is considered a holy city to Judaism or the Jews, to Christianity or us, and to Islam. The three Abrahamic or the three religions that uh, derive from the descendants of Abraham. Most of the descendants of Abraham are considered Jews or Hebrews. Then there are a portion of the descendants of Abraham that were Jews or Hebrews that uh, embraced the Messiah or Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings and then spread that to the world and we became Christians. And then there are others uh, through Ishmael who embraced his, his son that he had with Hagar that have embraced Islam. All right, let me continue. Both Israel, is Israelis and Palestinians claim Jerusalem as their capital as Israel maintains its primary governmental institutions there and the state of Palestine ultimately foresees it as the seat of power. Neither claim, however, is widely recognized independently. We know that there are turmoils going on right now in Israel and in Jerusalem between the Palestinians and the Israelis. All right. The Palestinians believe that uh, this is 
Israel is theirs. And the Jews believe that Israel is theirs or Jerusalem is theirs. So there is conflict going on now between two groups of people at this ancient city. I would say they would need it, the city would need prayer. All right, missiles being shot off. I know of people that canceled their trip to Israel because of the conflict. It can sometimes be a dangerous place. So what's point number one? Next slide. Israel, and more specifically Jerusalem, is a place of great interest and controversy on the world stage. This ancient city is a place of controversy and great conflict on the world stage, even in 2021. All right, next slide. God put his name there. Scripture says God put his name in Jerusalem. Let's take a look. Next slide, please. This is 1 Kings 11.36. This is the account of God um, correcting Solomon. Solomon had married foreign wives. When I say foreign wives, I mean non-Jewish uh, wives. And they had turned his heart away from the Lord, and he started worshiping Asterisk and Molech and other gods because of his marriage to these women. So God is now saying to Solomon, um, I'm going to take the kingdom away from your son. I won't take it away from you now because you're the son of David, my beloved. But I will take it away from one of your sons. And here in this account, God has the prophet Ahijah, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, speak to Jeroboam and tell him that one day he would be king of the ten northern tribes and this we know where the, 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 uh, the kingdom of Israel was split into two, two nations. The northern nation or the ten tribes were the kingdom of Israel. And the southern uh, two tribes were the kingdom or the nation of Judah. All right. So let's read this account here uh, in 1 Kings 11.36. And it says, And unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem. So God's doing this. And prophesying this through Ahijah to Jeroboam about what's going to happen to Israel and, and more specifically Jerusalem. To have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. God saying, I put my name there. Now, is God talking figuratively here? Is it this some deep figurative thing that we're supposed to figure out? Well, what is God talking about? He put his name there in Jerusalem. Hmm. Next slide, please. Here we have a map of Jerusalem. And we have some red, the red markings there. Let me read this for you. Jerusalem is made up of three valleys, the Kidron, the, the Hinnom, and the Tyropean valleys. The three valleys that flank Jerusalem, when traced by marker over their map locations, form the Hebrew letter Shin. If you were to look from above, over Jerusalem, even today, it is flanked by three valleys. Israel, Jerusalem is on an elevated plateau. It's a city that's high. All right, and lift it up 
on a plateau. We know plateau is like a flat, elevated surface. But if you were to look down from above like God does upon Jerusalem, these three valleys kind of connect with one another. If we would take a marker and trace where these valleys connect with one another, we would come up with the Hebrew letter Shin. Where are you going, Brother Pastor, with this? Shin, which according to the Hebrew thinking, represents the name of God, Yahweh. Shin means to consume, destroy, or fire. And according to Deuteronomy 4.24, God is described in Scripture as a consuming fire. God blazed in fire on Mount Sinai. So the letter Shin in the Hebrew thinking represents the name of God. For God is perceived to them as fire. So if you were to look down upon Jerusalem and mark out those connecting points of those valleys, you would have the Hebrew letter Shin. God placed his name literally or that letter that represents his being as fire in Jerusalem. Very heavy stuff, y'all. Very heavy stuff. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Next slide, next point here. Point number two, the city of Jerusalem has biblical, historical, and current significance. Most importantly, God has placed his very name there to mark its importance to him. The city bears his name. I'm very proud of where I live. I like that New York City is close by. Some call it the greatest city in the world, but it does not bear God's name in it. My God. Some may say Los Angeles, some may say Miami, some may say Paris, wherever, but they don't, be, or London, they don't, or Tokyo, they don't bear the name of God. Hallelujah. We're headed somewhere, y'all. We're headed somewhere. Hallelujah. I'm building up to a point here. Next slide, please. Abraham or Abram more specifically is connection to Jerusalem. How does Abraham have a connection to Jerusalem? We know Abraham is the father of the Hebrew nation. All Hebrews, all Jewish people, hallelujah, of pure Jewish blood find their heritage in Abraham. All right. Next slide, please. Now we're going to read the account from Genesis 12, 1 through 3 of God's promise to Abraham. All right. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. It reads, now in Haran, that's where Abraham's father had brought them and they settled. Amen. The Lord had said to Abraham, go away from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. This land being would be Canaan, which eventually became Palestine or Israel. All right. And I will make you a great nation. We know this nation became the nation of Israel. And I will bless you abundantly and make your name great, exalted and distinguished. We're still talking about Abraham some um, uh, thousands of years later. And you shall be a blessing, a source of great good to others. He's a blessing and, sh and source of great good to others because through him came the Messiah or Christ. 
All right. Mary was the human being through and descendant of Abraham through which the Messiah came through. We know he didn't have an earthly father. Hallelujah. But he had an earthly mother. Hallelujah. And I will bless and do good for and benefit those who bless you. And I will curse that is subject to my wrath and judgment. The one who curses, despises, dishonors and has contempt for you. Now, we could apply this to Abraham, but I believe we could also apply it to his descendants and their capital city is Jerusalem. So if we bless Jerusalem, we will be blessed. We curse Jerusalem or engage in anti-Semitic behavior. Uh, Anti-Semitic. Semitic comes from the word Shem. Shem was uh, one of the forefathers of the Jews as well. That's where we get Semitic from. We engage in anti-Semitic behavior. We are bringing a curse upon ourselves. We are to treat the Jews well in their connection to Abraham. Hallelujah. And in you, all the families, the nations of the earth will be be blessed. And we know that's through Christ. Amen. Let's jump over to verse uh, to chapter 14, um, verse 18. This is the account of Abraham. Um, meaning Melchizedek, who many believe is the pre-incarnate or the pre-body Christ. All right. It says Melchizedek, this is after he had uh, rescued Lot from those kings uh, that Lot had been uh, taken um, captive by. Hallelujah. Abraham went and rescued his his nephew Lot. Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is the ancient name for Jerusalem, Brought out bread and wine for them. He was the priest of God most high. So Melchizedek, who we believe is the pre-incarnate Christ, came and met Abraham with bread and wine to kind of help them, him and his men be rejuvenated after overcoming and overtaking those kings. But it also points to the Lord's Supper with the bread and the wine, which points to Jesus. It's a whole lot going on here. Hallelujah. And this Melchizedek is the king of Jerusalem. He says, Abram. And Abram said, Blessed, joyful, favored be Abram by God most high, creator and possession of he- possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed, pr- praised, and glorified be God most high, who has given your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of all the treasure he had taken in battle. Abraham had an encounter with the king of Salem or the king of ancient Jerusalem. Now, how was the pre-incarnate Christ the king of ancient Jerusalem? Ah, Well, the Bible doesn't speak about that. Hallelujah. But it does make mention of this account. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Next slide, please. We're going to go over to Genesis 22 and 1. This is the account of Abraham attempting uh, 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 to uh, sacrifice Isaac, his son. Also reading from the Amplified Version of the Bible. And it says, now after these things, God tested the faith and commitment of Abraham and said, it, and said to him, 
excuse me for a second, and said to him, Abram, Abraham, and he answered, here I am. God said, take now your son, your only son of promise, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, I put a star next to Moriah because this place, Moriah, this area later was to become Jerusalem and the site of Solomon's temple. Heavy stuff going on here. We know that God having Abraham attempt to sacrifice his son was pointing forward to what God would do with Christ thousands of years later. And we know that God provided a ram in the bush. Hallelujah. So that Abraham did not have to go ahead and sacrifice Isaac. Amen. And that's symbolic of uh, a sacrifice being provided for all of mankind in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But it occurred. This event occurred on the future site where the temple of Jerusalem would be built. Next slide. Let's look at point three. God led Abraham to the future site of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, in order to have him engage in an attempted act of sac sacrifice of his son, which would point forward to God sending his own son, Jesus, to die for the sins of the world, a stone's throw away from the same site, Mount Moriah, in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. We're talking about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, and we're looking at why is Jerusalem so important to God. We looked at, hallelujah, the, the, the geographic location. We looked at, hallelujah, that God's very name in the, uh, in, in the uh, valleys that flank Jerusalem is there. We looked at the account between God and Abraham and how important uh, the events that happened in Abraham's life happened in or around or in association with Jerusalem. This place is important. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Next slide, please. We're going to look at a few scriptures about Jerusalem in the Bible. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We're establishing the importance of Jerusalem, why we should pray for it. Hallelujah. Next slide, please. We're coming out of, hallelujah, 2 Samuel 5, verses 6 and 7. This is when David captures Jerusalem and makes it Israel's capital city. I'm reading from the Amplified Version again, and it reads, Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. They were the inhabitants at that time. The inhabitants of the land who said to David, You shall not enter here, for the blind and the lame, even the weakest among us, will turn you away. They thought, David cannot come in here because the walls are impenetrable. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold, the fortress of Zion, that is the city of David. Amen. And from there, he established Jerusalem as the capital city of Israel. Hallelujah. David had great importance too. Amen. And a lot of his importance in the Bible is related to the city of Jerusalem. We're going to go to our next uh, slide. It's 1 Kings 6 and 1. I'm still in the Amplified Version. This is the account where Solomon succeeds his father and builds the temple in Jerusalem. We have two scriptures here. The first one is 1 Kings 2 and 10. And it reads, so David lay down with his fathers in death and was buried in the city of David. It's a, it's a nickname for Jerusalem. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, 
and his kingdom was firmly established. So where was Solomon's kingdom firmly established? In Jerusalem. We know Solomon was the wisest man other than Jesus that ever walked the earth. He wrote most of Proverbs, all, most all the Proverbs, we'll get into a study of Proverbs later. I found a very wonderful study of Proverbs and a portion of the Psalms. All right. Next verse below, 1 Kings 6 and 1. Now that we established that Solomon was ruling in Jerusalem. Now it came, now it came about in the 480th year after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt. In the 40th year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv which is April, May, which is the second month that he began. Excuse me, I said the 40th. It's the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, April, May time period, which is the second month that he began to build the Lord's house. Where did he build it? In Jerusalem. So the first temple was built in Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem represent? They went from a tabernacle, which was basically a glorified tent that housed the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God and more specifically, Jesus. And now this Ark was placed in a more permanent place, the temple, hallelujah, built by Solomon, placed in the Holy of Holies, and it was contained within Jerusalem. So in other words, the presence of God, the earthly manifested presence of God, at least according to the Israelites, was in the temple, which was located in where? Jerusalem. We're talking about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Next slide, please. We're going to look at Jesus is crucified in Jerusalem. Our Lord and Savior, the King of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords is crucified in Jerusalem. I'm reading out of Matthew 27, 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. So this is an account of where they would crucify our Lord and Savior. A place called Golgotha, which was located where? Let's read it real quick. Golgotha. It's Aramaic for skull. Also called Calvary. That's from Latin. Calva means bald head or skull. Skull-shaped hill in ancient Jerusalem. It's the site of Jesus' crucifixion. Our Lord and Savior was crucified. Where? In Jerusalem. We're talking about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, even as modern-day Christians. And we're establishing the importance of the city of Jerusalem, biblically, historically, and even currently. Next slide, please. Next slide, we have a picture of of Golgotha, the place of Jesus' crucifixion. This is why they would call it the place of the skull. Looks like a skull. Hallelujah. Next slide, please. We're going to look at Golgotha in relation to the Temple Mount. All right. So the temple, amen, is towards the top of the page. But on the foreground, there's a little hill and this is where our Lord and Savior was crucified at Golgotha and within Jerusalem. Hallelujah. So we get some perspective of where he was crucified in relation, in physical relation to the temple, all of which is located in Jerusalem. We're really going to turn the corner now. Hallelujah. Next slide, please. Prophecy hidden in 
plain sight. Earlier we defined the word Jerusalem, but it goes even deeper. And it's a prophecy hidden in plain sight. Next slide, please. The word Jerusalem has a Hebrew spelling. And I have the Hebrew spelling there, but just to, uh, to make it clear to our modern English minds, it is the letters spelled from right to left, starting with that yellow word, Yud. So Yud, Resh, Vav, Shin, Lamed, Mem. And Yud, being the first letter, reading right to left, means hands doing a mighty work. And Resh is, represents a head or a prince. And Vav it means the same as our modern day word and, or it connects two words together. That's what and does. It's a conjunction. And then the word Shin in red, it means to, we saw that word already. It means to consume or destroy or teeth or fire. And Lamed is in purple. And Lamed is uh, the voice of authority or a staff. It looks like a staff. And our last letter, Mem, it means waters of chaos, confusion, or death. These are the Hebrew letters that spell the Hebrew spelling of Jerusalem. Next slide, please. The word Jerusalem is a combination of two Hebrew words. It's Resh, it's Yud Resh. Yud Resh, when you combine them together, means a prince is going to do a mighty work. I wonder who this prince is. The second portion of the word Jerusalem spelled in Hebrew is Shid Lamet Mem. You combine those three letters, it means to crush and destroy the voice of authority that is causing chaos, confusion, and death. Hmm. Next slide, please. Point number four. The word, the name of Jerusalem is a prophecy in which the prince, being Jesus, has and will come to do a mighty work to crush and destroy the voice of authority, Satan, that is causing chaos, confusion, and death. At his first coming, Jesus was a suffering servant that paid for all our sins and defeated Satan at the cross. At his second coming, he will be a conquering king who defeats the armies of Satan, places Satan in chains for a thousand years, and later in the lake of fire for all eternity. Jesus' reign on earth from Jerusalem as king of... And then Jesus will reign from earth, from earth from Jerusalem as king of kings and lord of lords. The very name Jerusalem, when spelled in its native Hebrew tongue, hallelujah, Glory to God is a prophecy in which Jesus comes to destroy the devil, defeat the devil. That to me would be a city of peace. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. I'd be thrown out of many churches for what I'm sharing with you right now. Oh, Brother Paz, that's too deep. Why, why we got to get into all that? You know, there should be a reason we do what we do and why we know what we know and why things hold in cer certain importance. Jerusalem is an important city because its very name speaks of Christ coming to defeat Satan.
on our behalf. Hallelujah. Oh, we're not done yet, though. Hallelujah. Hang in there a little bit more. Next slide. The twofold defeat of Satan takes place in Jerusalem. There are two instances of Satan's defeat that take place in Jerusalem. Next slide, please. We're coming out of Genesis 3.15. Amen. This is a prophecy itself. Amen. After Adam and Eve fell, God had to uh, dole out curses. And this one is upon uh, the serpent who was possessed by Satan. And it reads, and I will put enmity or open hostility between you and the woman. So between the serpent and the woman, the serpent being that vessel that was used by Satan. And between your seed and offspring, or those followers of Satan and her seed. Who's the seed of woman? Jesus! And he shall fatally bruise your head. Where did he do that? At the cross. And you shall only bruise his heel. When was Jesus bruised? At the cross. Where did the cross account take place? In Jerusalem. So where was Satan initially defeated? At the cross in Jerusalem. Next slide, please. Let's look at the second account here. Revelation 20, 7 through 10, the Amplified Version. This is the account at the end of the millennial period. Christ will reign after the tribulation for a thousand years. And we will reign with him as born-again believers. We will reign with him. There will be people who survive the tribulation and still get married and have babies. And they will need governing and we will help him govern that's what we will be doing in the millennial kingdom hallelujah glory to god this time on earth now is the time of preparation time of testing he called this a kingdom of uh, of priests and kings ending with him in the millennial kingdom all right so this is after that account let's see what happens after at the end of the thousand years. A millennial means a thousand. Or millennium means a thousand. And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, the abyss. Now why would God change Satan and then release him? Doesn't make sense. Didn't Jesus defeat him at the cross? Well, he, he was defeated in his authority. But it was not yet displaced. Hallelujah. But then I didn't read this account, amen, after the battle of Armageddon, he is thrown into a uh, bottomless pit. I mean, he is thrown into uh, a, a pit by angels, hallelujah. And Armageddon's in northern, uh, northern Israel, so we're not dealing with that right now. We're focused on Jerusalem, hallelujah, glory to God. Why would Satan, real quick, amen, with human beings still being on earth, unredeemed, unresurrected um, human beings, they still have to be test it to see if they have a dedication to Jesus or they don't. It is God's final means of ridding the earth of those who are not followers of Christ by releasing Satan after the millennial reign. All right, let me go on to read some more. And will come out to deceive and mislead the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Funny how it says the four corners of the earth. I'm not going to touch that any further. I'll leave it for you to determine how the earth has four corners, according to scripture, including Gog and Magog, 
to gather them together for the war. Their number is like the sand of the seashore. So apparently, there's going to be a lot of people, although Jesus is reigning for a thousand years on earth, that have not embraced Christ. Believe it or not. Because they're going to gather in war against Christ. Their numbers like the sand of the seashore. And they swarmed over, they swarmed up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, God's people, or us. And the beloved city, Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was hurled into the lake of fire and burning brimstone, sulfur, where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But where did this final defeat of Satan take place? At Jerusalem. Next slide, please. Point five. With Jesus' crucifixion and his defeat at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, I mean, of millennial reign of Christ, Satan twice suffered defeat at Jerusalem. At the cross, and his defeat right after the millennial period. Hallelujah. The prophecy will come true. Next slide, please. We're going to wind it up now. Why pray for the peace of Jerusalem? With all that said, Brother Pastor, he brought up a lot of scriptures and but why are we praying for the peace of Jerusalem? Next slide, please. We're going to be coming out of Isaiah, the second chapter, and the first through fourth verse. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so that it's easier for us to digest. And this is a vision that Isaiah had of Christ's rule during the millennial period. The millennial period is a thousand-year period after the end of the tribulation period. All right? Satan is in chains. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus is ruling on the physical earth in Jerusalem. But let's read what Isaiah has to say here. This is a vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills. People from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teachings will go out from Zion. His words will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will meditate between nations, well, excuse me, will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. The Lord will mediate between nations. He'll be the go-between, let's say, between America and Russia or between America and North Korea. And he'll settle international disputes. From where? Jerusalem. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war 
anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is how the state of the world will be during the millennial period when Christ reigns here politically on earth. Hallelujah. Let me wind this up. Next slide. Last slide. In conclusion, Jerusalem is a city of great historical and biblical significance from Abraham and Mount Moriah to Jesus, Golgotha. Many great events took place in, the hallowed, in its hallowed borders. Of most significance, the new city, the new city of Jerusalem, hallelujah, which we didn't read. We read that last week. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Represents the future eternal state where all the redeemed, the redeemed include the Old Testament saints, the church, where the church, the tribulation saints are those that got saved during the tribulation period. There will be human beings that get saved during the tribulation. The 144,000 Jews. These are Jews redeemed, protected, and translated after the rapture. All this happens to them sometime during the tribulation. Hallelujah. We'll all live with God forevermore. Where? In the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The reason we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem are one. We should take the word of God literally. If God's telling us to pray for for the peace of Jerusalem, we should do it. He didn't put it in there. He didn't have David just put it in there for no reason. Two, the prominence of Jerusalem in the Bible. We went over that. Jerusalem's mentioned 806 times in the Bible. 660 in the Old Testament, 146 times in the New Testament. A word is not mentioned that much if it is not important. Three, a desire for peace in the Middle East. Place of turmoil, con- contention, conflict, even now. Praying for peace in the Middle East. Number four, it gives us personal peace and fulfillment. David talked about we should prosper, that, that love it. That's that Hebrew word, shalah, peace, ease of, ease of soul. We pray for this place. Our future home. We talked about last week, our home is not in heaven. It'll be here on earth where heaven and earth are one again, where the new Jerusalem comes down. And when it's referred to as the bride, it's, it's, it's with all the people I just mentioned, amen, living inside of it. Amen. It's valuable to Christ because that'll be our eternal home or our eternal state. Hallelujah. Glory to God. After the millennial period. And number five, bringing the Messiah Christ to his own people. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we want to see the salvation as of, as of many descendants of Abraham, which we know today as the Jews, as possible, that they would not have to be suffered through the tribulation, that they could be raptured like we are. The Jews and us together, hallelujah, that accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, are the church. Hallelujah. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for our future eternal home. Where we will live with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Somebody say hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There's benefit now for us. 
God promises through David that we would have, we would prosper as we prayed for Jerusalem. There's a future hope. That's the place where we will be forever. First in the millennial kingdom with Christ, then in the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's just not a saying that we just throw away. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And God didn't just keep speaking it to me for no reason. Hallelujah. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I've always prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. It's not something that's been at the forefront of my mind. But God bringing it to me over and over this past week is telling me, Son, start doing what I asked you to do. And tell the people to do the same. So with all that said, let's now pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Father God, we lift up this holy city, this ancient city, the city where you've marked it with your name, this future home for all of us, the redeemed of the Lord. We pray for the peace to overtake this city in the name of Jesus. More importantly, we pray for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Israel, Lord God, that you would bring them to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, their Messiah, our Christ, our Lord of Lords, our King of Kings, that many would come to the saving knowledge of your son and the parting of their sins that goes beyond their physical ancestry with Abraham to being saved, hallelujah, by grace through faith as we have been, that all their sins would be washed away, even their rejection of your son, in the name of Jesus. We pray for the eight and a half, nine million inhabitants of that country and the specific inhabitants of that city. Save them, sanctify them, fill them with your Holy Spirit. We pray for this conflict going on in the region. We speak peace over the city of Jerusalem, over the nation of Israel right now, in the name of Jesus. Father God, we, we unselfishly pray beyond our own situations and our own uh, difficulties. And we pray for your descendant people through Abraham and the city of Jerusalem. We speak the blood of Jesus over it. Have your way in it and through it. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Amen. Listen, you were listening to this message today, and you want the Jerusalem of the future to be your home, this, this place of peace, this place of tranquility, this place that is unlike where we live now. Now, I, I enjoy where I live but I also acknowledge that we live in a fallen world, world full of crime and hate and racism and rape and murder and war. God has a future city for us where none of that will be in existence anymore. But he'd like us as the church to step beyond our own little comfort zone and pray for the people who are responsible for us being saved. Salvation came from the Jews. They were God's people. And a number of them, not most, but a number of them, including those apostles, spread the gospel. And as a result, thousands of years later, 
you and I got saved. But if that's you there, you don't know Christ and the parting of your sins. And this message has impacted and informed and taught you something today. And you'd like to know that your future is secure and you'd like to prosper now in the here and now. Hallelujah. Please say these words with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Please forgive me of all sins, transgressions, and iniquities. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose on the third day as the physical evidence that Father God accepted your death as full payment for my sins. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Now, if you said that prayer sincerely and you really received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now say amen. I'd like to welcome you to the family of God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jerusalem is yeah, now your future home. Not, not the one per se that's in existence now, but the future Jerusalem. That's 1,400 miles in, in, in width and height and depth. Hallelujah. It's going to have enough room for you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Listen, take me to the slide uh, um, with the offering now. Listen, we, we really need your help to continue to share messages like this about the gospel. And, 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 and in the very name of, of, of Jerusalem is the gospel message about Jesus Christ and his defeat of sin and Satan. Amen. Hallelujah. We need your help to continue to share these things. Amen. We live still in this physical world. Amen. And this world system runs by money, unfortunately, right now. Hallelujah. And as filthy as it can be, amen, we need it to continue to share the gospel on this side of heaven. So please, ma'am, please, sir, let the Lord lead you on how much to give. Amen. Um, hallelujah. If you want to give your tithes like Abraham did in the 14th chapter of Genesis to Melchizedek. Amen. Hallelujah, which was before the law, by the way. Hallelujah. Your offerings, your donations, your investments. Amen. And let me say this. If we are not your actual church home, don't tithe to us. Amen. You can give us an offering, but tithe to your local church. Amen. But if, you are, if we are your church, amen, and you have the revelation of tithing, that God tithed Jesus unto us. Amen. And in out of love response, we tithe back unto God. Why? That the gospel message might be continued. Amen. That many would get saved before the, uh, the rapture of the church or the return of Jesus to get his church. Amen. Hallelujah. So if you have a compassion for the Living Waters Christian Center and its mission to unveil the beauty of Christ through the preaching of the gospel of grace, we want to promote the gospel. Please, ma'am, please, sir, please invest in it. You can do that three ways. Your first way you can give at online at lwccgrace.com org forward slash donations. You can make a tax deductible donation there on our website. Way number two is you can mail in your donation to Living Waters Christian Center, P.O. Box 115, Amityville, New York, 11701. You can mail your donation there. Both places are on your screen. Amen for reference. Amen. Hallelujah. And the third way you can come and join us in person. Amen. We are practicing safe guidelines here. We are sitting at least three feet apart, amen. We are wearing masks except for me, amen. I am double vaccinated, by the way, amen. But that's a personal choice between you and God, how you want to move forward with that. But we have a safe place here. We have an overflow room, amen. We take temperatures, amen. We are operating safely and with wisdom uh, because we don't want anybody to get sick, even though it seems like we're coming to, an end, to, to the end tail part 
of the COVID-19 pandemic. We still want to be safe. Amen. So you can come here in person. Join us for worship between 11 and 1130. Amen. Hallelujah. And give your offering in person. Amen. So let me pray over these offerings. Father God, we thank you and praise you for this seed we sow. We sow it for the upkeep and expansion of your kingdom. We sow it in connection to praying for the peace of Jerusalem, that your ancient people, your descendant people of Abraham, would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that we pray, Lord God, in expectation and give an expectation of our future home with Christ forevermore. We bless you today. We praise you, Lord God. Let our offerings bring some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, some a million-fold return that we might be blessed to be a blessing to others. We thank you today. We praise you in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving. Thank you for your investment. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us here at the Living Waters Christian Center. We'll be back at 11.30 a.m. next week. We love you. God bless you. Hallelujah. And pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Enjoy the rest of your day and God bless. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us at I Am Robert A. Brown Ministries. We hope the message blessed you and unveiled the love of Christ to you in a greater way. God bless.